The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 391st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to be visiting the city that we just visited, New Orleans. I loved our trip. We had so much fun. And we're going to talk about something very specific to New Orleans. And for those of you who are into steampunk, of course, this is a drink that you know well, absinthe. And it just so happens that there are a few places in New Orleans that serves it up that also serve up some ghosts. Excellent. Now, I can't imagine I'd ever be able to get you to try that. No. And <laughs> for a couple of reasons that we will explain later. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Amy, who spells her name A-I-M-E-E, Jeff, Lisa, Miranda, Robin with a Y, Rita, Bill, welcome back, Barbara, Catherine with a K, Brody with an I, Sarah with an H, and Emily. Thanks so much for joining us and the crew. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Justin Rimmel. Wes Craven claimed that his inspiration for the 1984 film, A Nightmare on Elm Street, came from the real-life aftermath of the Cambodian genocide. Craven had heard the story of a child refugee who refused to sleep because he was terrified that he would die in his sleep because of dreams that he had been experiencing. One night, his parents heard him scream out, and when they got to his room, they found him dead. This young child was not alone. The Hmong people were from Laos, and they had helped the Americans fight back against the North Vietnamese in the Vietnam War. Many of these Hmong soldiers became refugees who fled to America, and during the 1980s, many of these young men in their 20s and 30s died in their sleep with no apparent reason why. One 1981 newspaper article pointed out that the recent death of a 47-year-old Laotian refugee was the 13th nocturnal death among the Hmong people since 1978. The only theory medical experts could come up with for the phenomenon was the chemical nerve agents that these people had been exposed to during the war. They thought perhaps the remnants of this exposure had led to the deaths, but there is nothing to support this. And why did it only affect men in this way? The Hmong came to believe that they were being punished by the spirits of their ancestors since they had left their homeland. Perhaps it was the stress from these fears that caused heart attacks or something. No one knows, but the fact that a fictional serial murderer like Freddy Krueger was inspired by the death of Laos refugees certainly is odd. 
This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. In the month of July, on the 3rd, in 1969 and in 1971, two well-known musicians died exactly two years apart from each other. The musician who died in 1969 was Rolling Stones guitarist Brian Jones. Jones was a gifted musician who had been the original leader of the group, but years of decadence and drug use caught up to him and Mick Jagger and Keith Richards fired him. Jones was found dead at the bottom of a swimming pool three weeks later. Jim Morrison had been the charismatic frontman and voice of The Doors. He too had issues with alcohol and drugs, with mescaline being a favorite due to its hallucinogenic qualities. He was found dead in a bathtub at a Paris apartment he shared with his girlfriend at the time. The death was recorded as a heart attack, although no autopsy was done. Morrison's girlfriend claimed he hadn't been doing drugs, but later recanted that before she died of her own overdose. Not only did Morrison and Jones die on the same day and in a similar manner, two years apart, but they both also died at the age of 27. Green Fairy is the nickname for a once-illegal liquor known as absinthe. There are a few places in New Orleans where one can get a shot of absinthe. The most famous place is the Old Absinthe House, but there are also the Mahogany Jazz Club and Pirate's Alley Cafe. These locations have not only that spirit, but some human ones, too. We figured, why not put together a legendary drink that claims to cause hallucinations with tales of ghosts? Join us for a jaunt down the streets and alleys of the French Quarter in pursuit of a special ferry and the ghosts connected to it. Kelly, what did you think of the French Quarter once you got to see it in the light of day? <laughs> it was definitely a little bit different than our quick trip through in December, much busier. But the architecture is amazing, and I just really like the whole vibe of it. Yeah, it's a it's a nice place to visit. I can't imagine wanting to live in the French Quarter. Well, we're we're a little bit more outdoorsy, so yes. any any bustling, busy city that would not be our jam. So. No. And yes, it was quite different. When we went back in December of 2020, we were on Bourbon Street with a handful of people on a Saturday night. Needless to say, you got to get a little bit of a feel for what Bourbon Street can be when everything's back to normal. Yes. And it's it's definitely, it's very stimulating with all the busyness. So it's very cool to hang out in for a while. But both you and I get a little bit overwhelmed by that. So it's a place I'd like to visit again, but I do need to retreat to our house. Yes. <laughs> the French Quarter is not made for introverts. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> or my parents. My folks went along with us and uh, my mom loved the history and everything and the architecture. But uh, I think they both as they were leaving New Orleans were like, been there, done that, don't need to go back. We love the city and we'll definitely be going back. But yeah, I can I can see that with your parents. And I was so bummed we got to Metairie Cemetery 15 minutes before closing. I know. I was like, so they close at five, <laughs> but shouldn't they wait until at least dusk? 
And the caretaker was in the process of locking the gates 10 minutes early on top of that. (laughs) Yeah. So we only got to see a couple of the mausoleums that were right there at the entrance. So we definitely will be going back and visiting those cemeteries when we're there because the ones that are in the French Quarter and even the Garden District Lafayette Cemetery, we couldn't go into because they were revamping it or something. I don't know, restoring some stuff. Right. And I, I do want to head back. I believe it was Harmony Cemetery that Cedric mentioned. Oh, yeah. I want to get there, too. I think all the cemeteries there are haunted. That one's haunted, too. They've done some investigating there. The French Quarter is what most people think of when they think of New Orleans. This is the old part of the city that is full of bricks and cast iron and wrought iron. This was originally founded by the French in 1718. The French Quarter's boundaries stretch from Canal Street to Esplanade Avenue and from the Mississippi River Northwest to North Rampart Street. And Kelly, can we say that the smells of the city were in full bloom? I would say so, but I wouldn't liken it to a rose. (laughs) No, definitely not a rose. Except for when we were walking past locations like Café Dumont. Oh, yeah. Well, that one always smells good. <laughs> that smelled lovely. And many of the restaurants did as well. But there there are certain parfums, shall we say, that are a little bit more intrusive to your nose cavities. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about the green fairy here. But there was another uh, a green plant-like sim- <laughs> green plant-like thing that was but hanging were, out a lot. Yes, they are definitely 420 friendly. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think of your first beignet? Oh, melt in your mouth like butter. It was so good. And you and I, we can't have a lot of that fat stuff, so. We cannot. It's like, oh, we enjoyed one, and that was good enough. Well, they were little, so we split one even. That's right, we did. We split one. (laughs) And then Jared had one as well. Yeah. The French Quarter probably has more spirits per capita than anywhere else in the world. It just feels haunted when you're there. I agree. Here, pirates mingled with ladies of the evening and politicians, artists, musicians, and many other people. This is an area rich with energy and is one of the few places that has several areas where one can get their steampunk on with a shot of absinthe. Are you truly a steampunker then, if you don't partake? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absinthe is a funky green liquor derived from the flowers and leaves of Artemisia absinthium, from which it derives its name, and herbs that include sweet fennel and green anise. That fact is one reason why Diane is not interested in trying absinthe. She hates the taste of licorice. And actually, you hate red licorice, too, but (laughs) especially black. Any kind of licorice, I'm just not digging. But yeah, black licorice. The other reason is the high alcohol content in this drink. It's between 110 and 144 proof. I'm a beer girl, Kelly, and one shot of this just might be too much for me. (laughs) I agree. I would not actually encourage you to try this. I will say, have you ever had Everclear? I have not. Everclear is probably very similar to absinthe when it comes to alcohol content. Okay. And I used to make this stuff when we'd have parties called jungle juice. And basically it was punch that you would pour a bunch of the Everclear into and you'd have fruit cut up into little bite-sized pieces that were in it. (laughs) And people would load up in a red Solo cup and then you'd have that fruit at the bottom of your drink and you'd start eating that and it wouldn't take long before people were falling down. Great. And did you mix it in your bathtub too? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absinthe is usually diluted with water because of that high alcohol percentage. Another name for Artemisia absinthium is wormwood, which seems fitting based on the fact that Revelation in the Bible claims that a meteorite is going to hit the earth in the future and cause the water to become undrinkable, and that the name of the meteorite is wormwood. Egypt was probably the first region to use wormwood, and this was as a medicinal curative. 
French nuns would be the first ones to use wormwood as an elixir in the late 1700s. This perked the attention of a doctor named Pierre Ordinaire, and he distilled the elixir into an alcoholic beverage. He wasn't making this to start his own bar, but rather as a medicine. It would be given to French troops as a treatment for malaria. They were feeling no pain. I guess not. Itch? Malaria? Pain? (laughs) Nope. I'm good. By the mid-1800s, bistros and pubs in France had grabbed hold of this green drink of the French soldiers and started serving it up. The drink soon took on the name La Fille Verte, or the Green Fairy, and the five o'clock hour became the Green Hour. Parisian artists and writers became the champions of the drunk-inducing drink and claimed that it bolstered their creativity. Sure it did. (laughs) Or they just felt like it did. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel so much more creative. Men like Vincent van Gogh, Oscar Wilde, and Aleister Crawley were proponents of the glories of the Green Fairy. This caused absinthe to become very popular in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Absinthe made its way to America, specifically New Orleans. Rumors started circulating that absinthe not only got people drunk quickly, but it had a hallucinogenic effect. For this reason, it was banned in the United States starting in 1912, and Europe soon followed. The temperance movement had a lot to do with that. A temperance petition in 1907 read, Absinthe makes you crazy and criminal, provokes epilepsy and tuberculosis. Oh my! Can you imagine? (laughs) Absinthe gives you tuberculosis. Exactly. And has killed thousands of French people. It makes a ferocious beast of man, a martyr of women, and a degenerate of the infant. Oh my gosh, who'd be giving it to their infant? (laughs) Good grief. (laughs) Well, my mom used to rub whiskey on my gums. How about a little bit of absinthe? So that explains it. (laughs) (laughs) It disorganizes and ruins the family and menaces the future of the country. In 2007, absinthe could be legally made again. But it is highly regulated to make sure its level of thujone remains less than 10 parts per million of thujone. Thujone is a chemical compound that was thought to create psychoactive effects. In high doses, it can cause convulsions and is toxic to the brain, liver, and kidneys. So if you talk to people about absinthe causing hallucinogenic effects, they will tell you it absolutely does not. But I know that I heard for years that it did. So I don't know if that's just part of the rumor mill or now it's regulated In the past, it was not, so perhaps these creatives were getting some hallucinogenic effects from it. Possibly. The Wormwood Society is America's Absinthe Association and Information Network, and they have a collection of historical documents about absinthe. One is a pamphlet published by the U.S. Brewers Association entitled A Solution of the Temperance Problem Proposed by the Government of Switzerland. It talks about a late 19th century absinthe drinking club and reads... In 1876, a number of Parisian women formed an absinthe club and adopted bylaws prescribing that on the days of meeting the members of the club must wholly abstain from the use of solid food, in the place of which latter absinthe was to be consumed to the extent of the drinker's ability. This competitive drinking bout had for one of its incidental objects the election of a presiding officer, inasmuch as the member who could drink most without showing signs of intoxication was declared president of the club. Can you imagine being declared president of a club because you could really hold your liquor? (laughs) No, I cannot. And I love that it was an all-women's club doing that. Not far from the World War II Museum, one finds the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. The museum has several exhibits, and one of these is La Galerie de la Absinthe. And you'll have to excuse my French. I don't speak French. 
This is a collection compiled by Raymond Bordelin and is the only one of its kind in the U.S. dedicated to absinthe. The collection features absinthe spoons, absinthe cocktail recipes, and absinthe fountains. Is that like a chocolate fountain, but with absinthe? I don't know. Just tip your (laughs) cup in. champagne fountain? All righty. Displays cover the history of the drink in general and in New Orleans. Some of the history connected to absinthe includes stories of Vincent Van Gogh being a heavy user of the drink. And it's credited not only with helping him with his impressionistic paintings and his liberal use of the color yellow, but also with the removal of his ear. Oh, my word. Always wondered. Explains a lot. Henry de Toulouse-Lautrec was a heavy drinker of absinthe and even carried a hollow cane filled with absinthe. It's believed to have inspired his impressionistic scenes of the brothels and night spots of 19th century Paris. And this talk of absinthe and brothels and night spots brings us to our first haunted location. The Mahogany Jazz Club is located along Charter Street, just a half block down from Canal Street. So basically at the edge of the French Quarter. We passed by it every day while we were there, but it was never open. This had once been the Folk's Lodging House, owned by Fred Folk. Tragedy at this location would begin at this time. There was a young man of 26 named Charles Murphy, who worked as a shoemaker in a factory in New Orleans. Murphy came down with a fever that left his body exhausted. He had it for several days and could not shake the illness. His weariness caused his work to decline, and he fell into a depression. Mr. Folk went to give him a wake-up call at 6 a.m. one morning, and the two men chatted. Mr. Folk returned to his downstairs office, and Murphy tied a piece of clothing line around his neck and tied the other end to a hook on the wall and hanged himself. Mr. Folk realized a couple hours later that he had not seen Murphy leave, and he went upstairs to check on him where he found him dead. This was in 1888. The next tragedy would involve a man named George Kreese in 1890. This was a guy down on his luck that Mr. Folk befriended. He invited the man who was living on the street to come and stay at his establishment. He also helped George find a job in a bakery. Problem was that George was not a very good baker, and he became depressed at his work. Apparently he lied about his abilities. With the money he had managed to make, he bought a gun and shot himself at the boarding house. Poor Mr. Folk would end up finding another suicide victim in his lodging house. And there was yet another death. The Times-Picayune reported on November 22, 1892, shot in the dark, mysterious killing on 125 Charter Street. This told the story of a homeless man, Scotty Boyle, who made a habit of hanging out near the door at Folk's boarding house. The article says he was minding his business when a tall man in dark brown suit approached him. A bystander heard the man in the brown suit get angry and he yelled at Boyle, I'll shoot you for fun. And he did just that, shooting Boyle in the face. The man in the suit then fled down Charter Street. Boyle was still alive but unable to speak and he died before he made it to the hospital. The killer was never found. We're not sure what happened to this location through the years, but today it's the Mahogany Jazz Club where patrons can get a drink and listen to great live jazz. But the real treat here is the burlesque show in the back where the Green Fairy is served up. This is a small, intimate venue where patrons get to hear a brief history of absinthe before being offered a sample. The burlesque is very tasteful, we hear. The cost is $20 and many claim it to be a hidden gem. Not only do we have the Green Fairy here, but there are stories of ghosts. Patrons claim to be touched by something unseen and hearing disembodied whispers and voices. The employees claim that the spirits are nice. Connie Fry had been a general manager here and told Ghost City Tours, I've had staff members previously that have mentioned actually seeing a figure in the back room. I've had several customers who have mentioned having feelings of things brushing across their shoulder. Fingers running through their hair, shadows out of the corners of your eyes. Charles Murphy turned around and hung himself, so I'm pretty sure he's one of the spirits that is lingering. 
We have one who we jokingly call Rebecca because we don't know her name. But you'll see a glass move around a little bit on the bar, or if you're getting ice out of the ice machine, the lid will drop on your head. That's not a nice ghost. No, not very nice (laughs) at all. She just wants to let you know that somebody's here. And yeah, I don't know where she'd be coming from because our three people who died on the location here were male. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Kelly, our favorite HelloFresh meal came up last night. It sure did. Those firecracker meatballs. I love those so much. Oh, they're to die for. And they're so easy. You know, last night I made the comment to you. I'd been working all day outside in the yard and then we're reorganizing the garage. And I came in and it literally was about 45 minutes before you get off of work. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I've got to make dinner. Well, I didn't even have to think about it because I'm like making firecracker meatballs. Here is everything I need and the recipe with directions. And I had it ready by the time you were done working. It was perfectly timed. And it was so easy. There's something for everyone to enjoy. With all the recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. And that's one of the things we really love about it is that it's fresh food that tastes amazing. And did you know that HelloFresh has an app, Kelly? I had no idea. It offers the flexibility that people need to customize their order within minutes. So you don't have to just log into the computer. You can have the app right there on your phone and take care of choosing what you want to have the next week. That's fantastic. The other thing I really loved is that we had some extra bonus money that they had given us. Occasionally you get these different little deals and stuff. So we upped to a gourmet meal with trout. It was luscious. It was so good. It was. I opened the package and it's steel throat trout. And I'm used to trout being white in color. And this was pink like salmon. And oh my gosh, it was melt in the mouth. Yeah, it was absolutely delicious. If you want to join us on our HelloFresh journey, go to HelloFresh.com slash bump14 and use code bump14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. You cannot beat that deal. We didn't even get that deal. (laughs) Absolutely. Go to HelloFresh.com slash bump14 and use code bump14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. We're haunted by the great taste of HelloFresh. America's number one home meal kit. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Pirate's Alley is an alley that some claim was the scene of pirate commerce once upon a time. There's actually nothing to prove that, and it more than likely was just another alley in New Orleans. But it is a cool name for an alley and a cool name for a restaurant. The Pirate's Alley Cafe is located at 622 Pirate Alley. This was originally a royal prison run by the Spanish in the mid-18th century. Jean Lafitte and his brother were imprisoned here for a time. It was eventually demolished in the late 1830s. The building that stands there now was built and eventually became the Pirate's Alley Cafe. Alistair Crawley hung out at this bar and even wrote two of his books here while sipping absinthe. James Caskey writes in his 2013 book, 
the haunted history of New Orleans, ghosts of the French Quarter, that the bar has a poltergeist-like entity who slams doors, shatters light bulbs, and harassed a female bartender by undoing her bra and lifting her top, exposing the poor gal. That's definitely not nice. So we have a very different entity here. Uh-uh. <laughs> He'd get slapped by me. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it'd just be the air, but... <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't know. it be weird if you did, like, reach out to slap and then you felt like you hit something? <laughs> you never know. Employees started leaving out some rum to appease the spirit. A guide for the Haunted History Tours Company, Jerry Anderson, shared an experience a woman had on one of his tours in Kalila Smith's book, New Orleans Ghost, Voodoo and Vampires, Journey into Darkness. A woman on this tour got upset when she realized that her expensive wristwatch was missing. People in the group searched all around where they had been, but found no watch. The tour continued, and the group went into the cafe for a drink. The woman reached into her purse to pay for a drink and found her watch. This was a watch with one of those safety clasps, and she never took it off to put it in her purse. She was sure she had been wearing it. Ectoplasm has been captured in a picture around the sign of the Pirate Sally Cafe. And then finally, we have the old Absinthe House. This is at the corner of Bourbon and Bienville Streets. The original building that once stood here was built in 1752, but burned down in the 1788 Great Friday Fire because they had them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesdays. <laughs> the only thing left of the building after the fire was the fireplace. Pedro Front and Francisco Juncadilia were two Spaniards in the city who wanted to open a grocery store. So they rebuilt on this location and opened in 1806. This store operated for 40 years and sold the necessities of life, along with tobacco products and imported wines. This location became very important during the War of 1812. General Andrew Jackson met up with the pirate Jean Lafitte right before the New Orleans battle in 1815 on the second floor. Jackson made a deal with Lafitte to release his men from prison with full pardons if they would fight in the Battle of New Orleans. These pirates were familiar with the lay of the land, including the swamps, and they were instrumental in America's victory over the British. And Kelly, you may remember from an earlier episode that this battle in New Orleans actually never needed to be fought because the war was already over. Indeed. Just nobody told these guys, so they went ahead and fought. In 1846, Alique's Coffee House took over the location. Now, this wasn't your local Starbucks or even your neighborhood coffee house. Places that serve coffee were called cafes. When they were called a coffee house, that meant something else. This was a house of vice. All kinds of vice. Did you know that? I had no idea. I didn't either. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, a nice little coffee house. No. <laughs> Drugs were readily available and all kinds of liquor. In 1874, the site became the Absinthe Room, and mixologist Cayetano Ferrer created the Absinthe House Frappe. The coffee house had been popular, but the Absinthe House blew it out of the water. This was a location not to be missed. When absinthe became illegal and then prohibition became the law of the land, the absinthe house almost shut down. But, of course, it remained open as a speakeasy. It was so popular, though, that the authorities were well aware it was still running, and some of them threatened to burn the building down. The owners moved everything a few blocks down to a warehouse and kept the operation going. Today, that location is the Mango Daiquiri Shop. When prohibition was repealed, the absinthe house reopened in its former location. Many celebrities have passed through the doors from Frank Sinatra to P.T. Barnum, Mark Twain, Oscar Wilde, 
Walt Whitman, fun fact, we had a quote of his on the wall in our hotel. Do you remember that there was a quote on the wall from him? I certainly do. I don't remember the exact quote, but I remember it was by him. (laughs) It seems to me that it was something like, if you always stand with the sun in front of you, the shadows will be behind you. So it's like, yes, I I think you're right. I think that's what it was. The darkness won't, won't get you or something like that. Liza Minnelli and even President Franklin Roosevelt. The saying here is that everyone you have ever known or will ever know eventually ends up at the old absinthe house, except for us. <laughs> this location went through a major renovation in 2004, including the copper-topped bar. Now that's something I'd like to see. There are several spirits that have made the old absinthe house their home in the afterlife. The pirate Jean Lafitte must like to reminisce about his role in beating the British during the War of 1812 because his spirit is seen here as a full-bodied apparition on the second floor and many of his crew members join him as well. Their disembodied partying is heard with laughter and singing and glasses clinking and the sounds of beer mugs crashing to the floor. Some people even claim to have seen General Jackson standing with Lafitte. So perhaps some of this is residual, playing over that important moment in history. A lady in white wearing a long white dress is seen sometimes, and temperatures drop on a regular basis. A child runs across the third floor and doors open and close on their own disembodied whispers are heard. Chairs move on their own, and so do bottles. Interestingly, the ghost of Marie Laveau is seen in the bar. She steps up to the bar as though she wants to order a drink or two. She's also seen looking out of a window on the second floor. I found that interesting. I don't know, did she regularly go there for drinks? I'm not sure. Possibly. Benjamin Butler was the general of the Union Occupying Force in New Orleans in 1862, and he was so brutal, people called him the Beast. He was only rivaled by General Sherman. His father had served under General Jackson during the Battle of New Orleans. He tried politics for a while and was a lawyer, but during the Civil War, he managed to get appointed as the Brigadier General of the Massachusetts Militia. He was unscrupulous, ignored authority, and completely disregarded military procedures. Although he did nothing to capture New Orleans, he took over charge of the citizenry. He issued General Order Number 28 on May 15, 1862, which reads, Get a load of this, Kelly. As the officers and soldiers of the United States have been subject to repeated insults from the women, calling themselves ladies, of New Orleans, in return for the most scrupulous non-interference and courtesy on our part, it is ordered that hereafter, when any female shall by word, gesture, or movement insult or show contempt for any officer or soldier of the United States, she shall be regarded and held liable to be treated as a woman of the town, plying her avocation. Oh, my word. Butler would be removed for this egregious dishonor of the Southern women. You can imagine being a lady in the South had these things that you would think of a lady in the South. So there's probably nothing worse than you could do is call these women a bunch of ladies, ladies of, of the, the night. Evening. Yes. Yeah. And it was because, I mean, you can imagine they're being occupied by the Union. They're not happy that they lost. And so the women were insulting the soldiers and such. But uh, yeah, so they said, uh, you need to be removed. No kidding. Even though he died in 1893 in Massachusetts, his spirit is said to be seen at the old absinthe house. So I imagine he must have spent some time there. Absinthe is a powerful drink, so it's not surprising that three of the locations in New Orleans that serve it are buzzing with spiritual activity. Are any of these bars haunted? That That is for for you to decide. decide. Well, Kelly, I know for a fact I probably will never taste absinthe. Maybe I'll have a sip. I don't know. I just... (laughs) I just really can't stand that licorice flavor. I definitely want to try it at least once. I did do a shot of Jägermeister once in my life. 
and then I forget the rest of the evening. <laughs> but man, I still remember how that tasted. It was like, how does anybody drink this stuff? <laughs> we encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Anytime you have any comments about any of the shows that we've done. I know I put up a bunch of pictures of the 1872 Denim Inn. And Kelly, you know, we talked about that doll that we was did. in there. <laughs> yes. Suzanne felt that the doll looked very sad. And then another person commenting over on Instagram said, oh, you captured a little orb next to it. And it looks kind of blurry. So it's like it was moving. Well, I don't put a whole lot of stock in orbs. I always find it interesting, but it could be dust. I mean, it was in a closet, so it probably was just dust. But I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's always interesting. I also made a video as I was walking around the outside and then going inside and showing you some of the rooms and such. And that's up on our YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed to it, you should, because we do put up some other videos up there. It doesn't just play the podcast with a, a cover picture. We do have some videos that are actual videos up there, too. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery Rita Whittington. We're going to be burying you under an obelisk headstone. And Stephanie Galino, I hope I said that right. And Krista Mum, and I hope I said that right. You both are going to be put in garden crypts and you'll be getting your HGB logo mug in three months. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We really could not produce this show without our contributors. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. Spectacular. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Sounds like Riley when she sticks her tongue out. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Jeez, Kiwi. <gasps> Kiwi. Kiwi. That's enough. We almost have to bring him in here so at least not. I want to be part of the show. But it is highly regulated to make sure it's level of Okay. Kiwi! Kiwi, you are not part of the show, and you're not going to be if you continue to scream. <laughs> this competitive... The original building that once stood here was built in 1752, but dern... But dern down? Dern it. Dern it to the ground. Dern that. Darn fire.
Many celebrities have passed through the doors from Frank, Frank, Frank Sriracha. Frank Sriracha. <laughs> I like Sriracha. <laughs> it's a new spicy liquid you can put on, I don't know, what would you put Frank's... <laughs> Ice cream? Oh, hey. No, probably not. Isn't that interesting <laughs> that I made that mistake and you have Frank's original red, what is it Hot called? sauce. Frank's original hot sauce. Frank's original I, red hot? Yeah, whatever it is. I put that shiz on everything. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Butler was the general of the Union Occupy. Occupy? Occupy. It's like a porcupine. 